You're listening to the Central Church Podcast. To learn more about Central Church, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Butler. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning, and I tell you what, I am so happy to be here, and I'm thankful for the rain. How many of y'all are happy for the rain? Amen? We praise God for the rain. I told my wife yesterday when two or three drops hit the windshield, I said, honey, what is this liquid stuff falling from the sky? Take your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in quite a few places this morning, so follow along with the screen or in your Bible. Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, and we're going to begin in verse Number one, Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to begin in verse number one, and then we're going to take some, a detour to the book of Genesis, so you can follow along on the stream. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's Word in Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to begin in verse number one. The Bible says, now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large clouds followed him, and he healed them there, verse three. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let no one separate. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, then the God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So all the creeps God created. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God uh, said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Chapter 2, verse 18. I told you it's a lot of reading this morning. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I have heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You may be seated. How many of you have ever been unfriended on social media? The other day, someone was telling me, hey, did you see so-and-so posted something? It's funny. Go check it out on Facebook. And so I scrolled around. I couldn't find it. And so I typed in that person's name. And guess what? That person was no longer my friend anymore. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to feel. I said, is it something that I did? Did I, did I not uh, look them in the eye one day? Or did I post too many pictures of my kids? Do I put too many Bible verses out there? I mean, what am I doing? And, and uh, so maybe you've gone through that. Well, you know, a few years ago, Burger King ran a campaign called the Whopper Sacrifice. This was back about 10 years ago. And they said that if you unfriended 10 of your friends on Facebook, they would give you a coupon for a free Whopper. 
And so you had to use their app that was connected to Facebook. That's how Big Brother and all these corporations work. And what you would do is you would click 10 friends, I guess that you just chose at random or the people you really didn't like, and you would unfriend them and they would get a message in their Facebook messenger that told them you were unfriended for a free Whopper. Well, that stunt actually worked, and 234,000 people unfriended 10 friends. So over 2 million people lost friends, and Burger King gave away over 200,000 free Whoppers. Now, I tell you this story because here's the question. How valuable are your relationships to you? You know, we're starting a series over between April and May that are going to be talking about living by design, and today the message is about being that the fact that you and I are created for relationships. And my hope is, is that your relationships are worth more to you than a hamburger from Burger King, all right? Now, in Matthew chapter 19, we're going to be spending the next two months in just about 10 verses. Can you imagine that? And as we go through Matthew 19, Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees. Now, you say, who are the Pharisees? Well, they are the religious establishment of that day, and they are asking Jesus questions about marriage and divorce. They wanted to get Jesus publicly on the record on what his stance was on divorce so that they could discredit him in the eyes of the people. Jesus, at this time, was extremely popular. And so what these religious people who didn't like Jesus wanted to do is they wanted to put Jesus at at odds with the sentiment of popular opinion. They wanted to get Jesus on record so they could say, gotcha, Jesus. And so when Jesus is asked about relationships, what does he do? He goes back to the book of Genesis and looks at God's original design for humanity. Every one of you in this room and everyone watching online is in some kind of relationship. It may be you are married. It may be you have children. It may be that you're dating. It may be that you are parents or you are a single parent. It may be that you're just uh, single and you're ready to mingle. You know, you're looking on christianmingle.com. And whatever your situation is, The Bible has a word for you on relationships. Now, for some of you in the room, what the Bible has to say about relationships may shock you. You know, we live in a culture of people that is obsessed with relationships, but is very dysfunctional in their approach to them. And so this morning, here's the the big takeaway I want you to leave with today, and that is this. God designed us to be in relationships with other people that reflect his glory and goodness to the broken world that we live in. God has designed us to be in relationships with other people that reflect his glory and goodness to the broken world we live in. So three things we're gonna look at. Number one, we were created to reflect God's glory and God's goodness. We were created to reflect God's glory and God's goodness. So Jesus, when he's asked about relationships, takes the Pharisees, takes the people around him to Genesis chapter one. And as we read a moment ago, the Bible says that God created man and woman in his image. So if you're familiar with the Genesis account, God here has, uh, for over six days, five plus days, has been creating all kinds of things. He created the stars, he created the moon, he created the earth, the the dry land, the sea, the, the fish, the birds, and the 
furry woodland creatures. He created all of them. And at the very pinnacle of creation, he created mankind. And he did it, he did it in a different way. He, he created mankind, humanity, in his image. That's a very important thing. And as if you have a Bible that you can actually highlight either on your phone or, or a pen, write, uh, underline there, in his image. It's very important because what it tells us is that humanity is set apart from all other creation from all other creation, we have something that dogs don't have and cats will never have and, <laughs> and, and, and chickens and squirrels. We have been made to bear the image of God. Now, a lot of people ask the question, why did God create humanity? Well, God didn't create humanity because he was lonely or because he was bored. God, listen, God did not create you for his therapy or for his entertainment, it was out of God's goodness and out of God's glory that he created the world and everything in it. And he made humanity special creations that were meant to be reflections to all of creation of his glory and his goodness. We are made in the image of God. And what that literally means is that we are mirrors of God. So when you are looking at a person... You are seeing a little picture, however insufficient, of God himself. And that's why we as a church, Central Church, we support life. We hate racism and we share the gospel because of the sanctity and dignity of all human life from the womb to the tomb. And the worth of human life is not grounded in us. It is grounded in the creator who created us. See, if you take away a creator God from his created humanity, you have devastating consequences. But here's the bigger question we want to ask, and this is something that is very paramount to your understanding of what we're going to be talking about in this series, and that is this, what does it mean to be a human? The answer to that question has implications to every discipline that you would ever study in school. It, it has implications for theology, for sociology, for history, for biology, for psychology, and every other ology that you would ever go through. And, and it's based on this thought of, of, of what is a worldview? What is your worldview? Worldview, to, to define, is the overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world and reality. Everyone in this, in this room and everyone watching online has a worldview. It is the lens by which you see what reality is. It's how you view things. And, and what worldview does is it answers the following question. Number one, who am I? Number two, where do I come from? Number three, why am I here? For where am I going? What is true? What is false? And how should I live my life? Now, if we leave that up there, here's how a biblical worldview answers those questions. Who am I? Well, I'm a creation of God made in the image of God. Where did I come from? I come from God who is my creator. Why am I here? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Where am I going? Well, if I trust Jesus as my savior, I'm going to heaven. What is true and what is false? God is the one who defines what is true and what is false. How should I live my life? I should live my life in full obedience and gratitude for God's grace. That's a biblical worldview. Now leave those questions up there and let's look at what does a secular worldview say? Because everyone has a worldview, okay? Whether you are a Christian and with a Judeo-Christian worldview or whether you are some other person from an Eastern background or, a, or a, a Buddhist background or Jewish background or Muslim background, all of us have a worldview. But what does it look like in today's secular humanistic worldview? Because this is the more popular worldview of the day. How does it answer those questions? Well, question number one, if you ask a secular humanist, what is their worldview? Who are you? Who are you? Well, I don't really know who I am other than just a set of uh, DNA. 
Where did you come from? Well, I was not created. I have simply exist. I came from the Big Bang. Why are you here? Well, I'm here to continue my genetic DNA and outwit, outlast, and outnumber everyone. Where, where are you going? Well, I'm going nowhere when I die. Well, what is true and what is false? Well, I ultimately determine what is true and what is false. How should I live my life? Well, I should live my life and live my best life now, however I want to live it, because that's all I got. Do you see the difference there? One is about me, and I don't really know where I came from, and I don't know really know where I'm going, and all of my goal in life is, is just to propagate my DNA. I mean, could you imagine a secular worldview in which Valentine's Day is a part of that? I mean, how many of you would like a greeting card on Valentine's Day? I thank you so much for being the one who helps propagate my genetic DNA. Sincerely, Alan. I mean, that would be a weird Valentine, right? Well, a secular worldview says that's, that's the way that they view humanity. So being made in the image of God means this. It means that God is the measure of our lives, that he is the measure and the one that gives us the meaning to our lives. He, he is the sum all and be all of all things. Uh, John Paul Sartre, who is a renowned atheist, and, and actually he's one that I like he, because he's honest. Here's what he had to say about this issue of, of, of taking God out of the equation of your life. He says, once you dispense with God, The good news is that you can do whatever you want, guilt-free, no dread of retribution. He says, if you get away with it on earth, you get away with it forever if there is no God. The bad news is that when you dispense with God, you lose all intellectual basis for declaring anything to be inherently right or wrong. So in other words, in order to have right and wrong, you have to have a standard by which you can compare it to. So think about it this way. My kids love Legos. And they are, they are savants at Legos. I mean, it's amazing to me. They can take a, a something that has like 20,000 pieces. It seems like 20,000 pieces because I step on one about every day. But they have maybe 1,000, 2,000 pieces. And those, the, listen, Legos are not cheap. You realize how cheap it is to make Legos? Those people make a killing. Amen? And some of you, you, if you, you thought, man, I should be invested in the company, you know? But, 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 it, but they can say, you know what, we're going to take this 1,000, 2,000-piece thing, and it's going to be a Star Wars battleship. Now, I'm, already people are like, you don't have it right. It's supposed to be like this. I don't know what it's called, but you know what it's called. And so they can come to me, and they can have their own little box and, and their own individual, and they can build it themselves, and they can just decide, you know what, we're not going to do what the design says. We're, we're not going to do what the box says. We're just going to build a ship to be whatever we want it to be. And they can come in and say, hey, Dad, look at this Lego ship that we built. It, it's exactly what the box, it's exactly what, what it's supposed to be. And I can look at them and say, no, son, you can build it however you want, but that doesn't make that it's right. Those blocks were built and made in a such a way to fit the design for which they were intended. And if you don't build it right, you're not following the design. See, unless you have a design, unless you have a purpose, unless you have a measure by which you measure all things, there is no standard of right or wrong. Does does this make sense, what I'm saying here? So being made in the image of God helps us understand what's right and what's wrong. It helps us understand that He is the measure of all things, and He is the one that gives us meaning. See, being made in the image of God doesn't just explain who we are, but being made in the image of God explains why we are. The eternal purpose of mankind, the reason that you were created, was to proclaim the glory of God to the world. You were created for that. 
And so when you live your life, you are able to reflect, even though we're talking about a little bit, you're a broken mirror. We're able as human beings, mirrors of God, to reflect to the world the goodness of God. When you help other people, when you bless other people, when you love other people, you are reflecting the goodness of God to the world. When, when, when you work hard, when you sing, when you design, when you build, when you develop, when you paint, when you write, when you plant, you are reflecting to the world the creativity of God. When you are good stewards of creation, when you multiply and build and, 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 and oversee uh, things and lead things and develop things, you are reflecting the dominion of God. When you are living the way that God has intended you to live, you are living through and reflecting the design of God. All of us every day are reflecting to the world something about God. And so we were created. You were created. You don't have any meaninglessness. You were created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, the second thing we get from what Jesus says here and what we look in Genesis is not only were we, were we created to reflect the goodness and glory of God, but secondly, we were created to be in meaningful relationships with other people. You were. When, when, God, when Jesus takes us to Genesis 1.26, the phraseology there of the Godhead as they are talking about the creation of humanity is what do they say? They say, let us make. Here's some theology that you have to understand, or at least you have to believe in, that God is one God, yet he reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the Trinity. Now, it may be confusing to you. How can we have one God that reveals himself in three persons? And here's what I want you to understand. This sermon is not a, a, a systematic theological approach to answering that question, but here's what you have to know is that to deny the Trinity is to lose your soul. But to explain the Trinity is to lose your mind. <laughs> but here's what you have to understand. For all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed as friends in an eternal community as equals. Here's something that's going to blow some of your minds because it blew my mind as I was reading and thinking through this. Friendship was never created. It has always existed as a part of the eternal nature of God. There has never been a time in all of eternity where there was not friendship. God is a relational God. He's not some cosmic watchmaker who threw the, everything out and just sits back as an impersonal force. God is a relational God, and therefore being made in God's image means that we are relational beings who were made to have relationships and friendships as well. That's why in chapter 2, verse 18, God, after five days of creation... After everything that he made, after everything he had set up to this point, he declared good, said what? It is not good that man should be alone. In a sin-free world, why would God look at something he had just made that no one messed up and declare it not good? Because Adam was alone. Adam was like God, and God has never been alone. J.D. Greer put it this way, and I think it was so apropos as I read it this week. He said this. He said, the ache of loneliness is the one ache which we have that does not arise from sin. 
Adam, let's think about this, had a perfect quiet time with God 24 hours a day, and yet he still ached for human companionship. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. We were made just as Adam was made to have relationships. So whether you are an introvert or an extrovert or an ambivert or whatever vert, you were made to have relationships. Your first relationship is with God. But there is a need in your soul to have a friend, to have relationships, to have companionship with people who are your equals. God is not your equal. God is your God. You need others that are made in the image of God like you to have relationship with. You know, one of the shows that my family and I like to watch is a show on the History Channel called Alone. I don't know if you've seen it. We love survival shows. And this is a survival show where they take people and they put them in different remote places around the world. Uh, and and they, these people are, these are real rugged men and women who know how to do survival. And they're left out there with just about 10, I think they have 10 supplies. And they're they, they there and they're supposed to set up camp. And the purpose of the show is whoever can stay there the longest wins a million dollars. And so there'll be people stay for days, for weeks, hundreds of days. You know what gets most of them? Being alone. They can, they can survive, they can thrive, they can eat all kinds of things, they can hunt, they can fish, but it's being alone, missing their family, missing their friends. These are tough Big old rugged guys and big old strong women that are melting because they feel alone. You know, if one thing we've learned in this COVID world that we've lived in is isolation and loneliness is horrible. One of the devastating consequences, and listen, we're, I think we're blessed to live in Florida, and we've not maybe experienced what other people in other parts of our country have experienced because of certain type of situations. But many of you have had to sit in loneliness, completely isolated, in fear of, of, of losing your life because of the coronavirus. Many of you are still, I just know, I know a person that this week, he hasn't been out of his house for a year. And one of the things that one of the people told me, one of our senior adults told me this a few months ago, she said, the loneliness may kill me before the COVID does. Loneliness can cause serious health issues. Our current Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, says loneliness causes an insidious type of stress that leads to chronic inflammation and an increased risk of heart disease, arthritis, and diabetes. Here's what Dr. Murthy says. It has the same effect on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Think about this. Medicine proves what is true from creation. That chronic loneliness heightens risks of obesity, lowers our immune system, can bring about worsening symptoms of senility and Alzheimer's symptoms. Statistically, lonely people are more likely to die young. Why? Because we need relationships. We cannot fulfill our function. We cannot reflect God's relational nature in isolation. But you know something I found? Pre-pandemic, people were lonely. You can be surrounded by people and still be lonely. See, loneliness is a state of mind in which there is a perception of social isolation. Some people think, well, if I could just get married... 
Maybe you're single, and you're like, if I could just get married, if I could just have that person, I'll never be lonely again. But I can tell you story after story of, of married couples that I sit with, a husband or with a wife, and they say, Pastor, I'm lonely. Loneliness is, a, is, is not feeling satisfaction in your relationships. Pre-pandemic, one out of every five people feel lonely. And here's something, in our day of connectivity, aren't you thankful for some of the technology we have? I'm thankful for FaceTime. I'm thankful for phone and text messages and different things like that. Some I'm not thankful at all for that junk, but I'm thankful for it. But in the day of social media, social media itself has exacerbated and accelerated loneliness like never seen before. You can have thousands of friends and followers on social media and have no real meaningful relationships. Because most social media relationships are shallow and superficial. God created you to have real, meaningful, loving, caring, thoughtful relationships with other people. You and I need more than Facebook friends and Twitter followers. Other people cannot give you the ultimate satisfaction that God can give you. Okay? So I don't want you to leave here and say, well, I don't really need God. I just need friends. And so I need to go find a bar like Cheers and everybody knows my name and not down a couple of cold ones and have a hug. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that only God can truly satisfy your heart. But you are most like God when you are living in love and community with other people. Now, I'm not saying you have to get married to be a complete person. Some of the, some of the strongest believers I know are single and have never married. God can use you. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to preach an entire sermon on singleness and dating. But the path of godliness always leads you to other people. We have, and I'm trying not to steal thunder for other sermons, but we have a tendency to isolate ourselves. We have a tendency to pull away from others. But you're more like God when you're living and loving in community with other people. And so a path to godliness is towards other people, not from other people. The path of godliness is meaningful, meaningful relationships, not isolation. The path towards godliness is towards community and not away from community. Listen, God has so hardwired our hearts and lives to work when best when we are in deep community with other people. That's why he made the church. He made the church because he understands we were created to not be alone. The reason that we want you to come to church is not so that we can have a lot of people here or or have a big buzz or have a big platform. We want you here because you were created to have community. And you can't have community alone. Now you say, I have perfectly good conversations with myself. Listen, there is help. We were created to be in community. That's why we want you in small groups here. You need community. You need discipleship. You need other people. So we see here that, number one, we were created to reflect the glory and goodness of God. That's great, isn't it? We were created to have other people in our lives for relationships. We were created for relationships. But here's the third point. Our relationships are broken because of sin. Now, let's go back to the Matthew 19 the Pharisees' question. Again, we're going to be spending the next seven or eight weeks in this text, so don't feel like we're shortchanging it this morning. The Pharisees asked Jesus a question. The question is, is it permissible or not for people to get divorced for any reason? Okay? They saw a Morgan and Morgan sign and thought, well, this is a good question. (laughs) 
Why did they ask Jesus this question? Because in Jesus' day, divorce was a controversial topic. There were different people who had different opinions. They wanted Jesus on the record. But why are they talking about divorce? When we read all these other passages, did you see anything about divorce? What did he say? That one man, one woman, one lifetime become one flesh, two become one? What is divorce about? Divorce is ultimately a broken relationship, right? Many of you, some of you in this room have gone through the pain of that. And I'm not, we're going to talk about divorce and what the Bible says about divorce in this series. But, but I want you to understand that God's original design was two becoming one until death do they part. But yet the question is, why does divorce happen? Why are relationships dysfunctional? Why is parenting so hard? Can I get a witness on that one? Why is it hard to find a spouse? Why is, it, why is life so difficult? You want to know why? Because we live in a broken world full of fallen people. Genesis 3 tells us that sin entered into the world through our parents, Adam and Eve. And because of sin, there's a separation that happens between us and God vertically, and then there's a separation that happens between us and other people horizontally. Here's what you have to understand what sin is. Sin is not just doing bad things. Sin is choosing to do our own thing and going against God's design. Okay, it's not just I told a lie or or I did something I shouldn't have done. It's more than that. It is choosing to do life your own way to going against God's design. It's saying, you know, this is what God says I'm supposed to do, but fully on God, I want to do something else. That's what sin is. It's ultimate rebellion. And what does sin do? Sin defaces the image of God. See, we're still image bearers. But, but because of sin, we're not, clearly seeing, we're not clearly reflecting God the way we should. Sin distorts the goodness of God. You remember, I talked about as image bearers, we, we have the image of God, but we also, when we do good and help others and love others, we, we, we are showing and reflecting the goodness of God. Well, what happens is because of sin, we become selfish and self-centered with ulterior motives even when we do good for other people. There's no one in the, I'm just going to tell you something right now. I don't care how you good you are and how fast you can walk on water. There is no one in this room that does all the good they do with 100% pure motives. Why? Because we're sinners. Sin diminishes the dominion of God. We're called to be stewards of our resources, but yet we're greedy with them. Sin damages the design of God. We do things that are against God's design for our own pleasure. The biggest problem, listen, those of you who are struggling in your marriage right now, those of you who are struggling parenting, those of you that are struggling with friends, here, you wanna, I'm going to tell you what your biggest problem is. You want to know what your biggest problem is? You. My biggest problem in every relationship is me. Because we are sinners who are broken. We're broken mirrors. Have you ever bought something that was broken before? You, you get something from Amazon, and, and you're waiting. I mean, you've been waiting two days because, I don't any longer than two days. I might have to go to Walmart and get it, but two days, I didn't get it. You've been waiting for two whole days. It finally shows up at 8 o'clock at night. And there it is, and you're ready, and it's broken. And you're like, come on, man. When something's broken, 
It may kind of work, but it doesn't work the way it was designed to work. Like when you buy a car, a brand new car, you want it to work, right? I want it to work. If you buy a brand new dishwasher, you want it to work, right? When you, when you buy a brand new TV, you want it to work right. Well, we're broken. And because we're broken, we're not working and we're not living the way we were designed to live. And guess what happens? We're miserable because of it. Let me tell you how we're broken. We're broken, we're broken morally. Have you ever said this? To yourself or out loud. You know what? People ought to do this. People ought to do that. You know, if you were to go around and write down every time you ever thought in your, in your head or said out loud, you know, people should do this. People shouldn't do that. If you were to write it all down and you were to compare it to your life, you don't even do what you say other people ought to do. Right? No person in any culture keeps their own standard of morality. You know the reason we have laws? I mean, we send people to Washington to write laws because we're broken morally. The reason we have laws, the reason why in Tallahassee they write laws every year, the reason why the city of Sanford and other city and municipalities write rules, rules and laws is because someone does something. And we say, you know, that's not right. There should be a law against that. I mean, you think about the farmer who was riding his little horse and buggy. And then somebody came along in a, in a brand new Ford Model T, speeding wrong side of him. And that farmer said, that guy, there should be a law against going that fast. And they created speed limits, right? Because some old farmer. I mean, think about all the laws that we have. The reason we have laws is because somebody's breaking the law, right? Or they're doing something they shouldn't do. And matter of fact, our laws are constantly trying to catch up with our immorality. Every year we write laws because we're constantly pushing the limits and constantly doing things that aren't right. Every one of us. We're broken morally. Secondly, we're broken emotionally. We're messed up. You look at your neighbor and say, you're messed up. We have fear, anxiety, depression, insecurity, grief. We rejoice when others suffer. We laugh at sin and brokenness in other people. We go up. We go down. We have anger issues, control issues, mood swings. We've got problems. We're broken sexually. We live in a very sexually confused culture. We have created more categories in the past few years for people's sexuality to help them feel better about their brokenness. Yesterday, my wife and I were listening to old 90s country music. That's, that's the stuff where they, you know, kick the dog and shoot jukeboxes and stuff like that. And my wife looked at me, and she was listening to the words of these songs, and she says, isn't it amazing how Satan has got us to where we sing about our brokenness? We watch TVs and movies and celebrate the brokenness as if it's normal. Even in the church, people struggle sexually. I serve as a trustee for the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and we interview new missionary candidates at least once or twice a quarter. And as we interview them, we, we are talking to the best of the best young people, people that have sold their lives out for Jesus. They love the Lord, but there's a question that we've stopped asking. 
We've stopped asking this question, have you ever looked at pornography? We've stopped asking that question. You know what we ask them now? When is the last time you've looked at pornography? The reason is because everyone at some point in their life has looked at pornography because it's so rampant in our society. Think of kids today. I'm not trying to be some prude person, but if your child has a phone of their own, a smartphone, more than likely they have seen more stuff than you ever want to know. It is a gateway. Even the best parents with all the restrictions, do you know your kids know how to hack stuff? A smartphone is a great tool, but it is a gateway to all kinds of evil. Let me just tell you something, parents, in case you're not aware of this. Snapchat was invented for teenagers and college students to share inappropriate pictures and videos of themselves so that they'll be erased and nobody can track it. It's not so your kids can have fun. And sadly, most kids today are going to Google, Dr. Google, to teach them what is right and wrong sexually. And if you look at survey and statistic after statistic, most kids are depressed and broken and suicidal over sexuality. We're broken sexually. But we're also broken spiritually. We don't have time to go too deep. But in verse chapter 2, God told Adam, if you rebel and eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Did Adam die immediately after he sinned against God? No, he didn't die physically, but he did die spiritually. In chapter 3, verse 8, which we read a moment ago, when God called out to Adam and he said, where are you? It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. God knows where everybody is. He's not saying, oh, I didn't know he was there. He should have turned his tracker back on. I mean, you tell him. I mean, Gabriel, tell him to put his Live 360 app on and make sure that we can track him. No. God knows where everybody is. What God did is when he asked Adam, where are you? He asked it not for his sake, but for Adam's sake to see, so Adam can see that he was lost. Adam hid himself from God. Why? Because he was naked and afraid. Before sin, Adam and Eve could walk with God without any clothes on, and they had no shame, they had no fear, they had no guilt. But once Adam and Eve rebelled, they felt exposed to God. They felt guilty of not only breaking God's law, but they broke God's heart. See, our relationship with God is broken because of sin. Your biggest struggle in your life is your broken relationship with God. And our relationships with others are broken because our relationship with God is broken. Our relationships are dysfunctional because we are dysfunctional. So the Pharisees come to Jesus, and they ask a question. They had ulterior motives. What do we do with broken relationships? They came to the right person, to the only person who not only had the solution, but was the solution to the brokenness of all relationships. See, our relationship is with God is broken because we're the one who offended him. We sinned against him. We chose to go away from his design, and we are broken. And any and all attempts that we have to fix ourselves just leads to more 
brokenness. But Jesus came to restore your broken relationship with God. He came to fix what you broke. So here's what I want you to hear. Jesus is the only one who can fix your relationship with God. He's the only one. You will never have a functional relationship with others until you have a restored relationship with God. All all this in, in your heart as you're listening to this sermon and maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't agree with this or I don't agree with that, but I would dare say that all of us in this room would probably say this one thing is true. I'm not who I want to be. I'm not who I want to be. Everyone in this room or everyone watching online would probably all say, you know what, I'm not the person that I want to be. And you feel bad. It's because you need a relationship with God. And once you turn to Him in faith, and once you turn to Him in surrender, for that first time in your life, you are able to recover and pursue His design for your life. See, you were created for relationships, and the ultimate one was with Him. Augustine said it this way, that our hearts are restless until we find our rest in Jesus. So today, whether watching online or in this room, whatever you're going through, whatever marital difficulties you're having, whatever struggles you're having, you're only going to find rest in the one who can give you rest. And his name is Jesus. Would you bow with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the appropriateness of it. And God, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit do a work that I cannot and could not do. God, we were created to give you glory, but yet in every way, every day, we fail to do that. And we know it inside. So God, I pray that anyone in this room, anyone watching online, anyone down the road that listens to this podcast or watches this sermon on demand, that God, that you would move in their hearts so that they would turn to you, the one who created them, to flourish and to function. Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here in this room that doesn't know you, that right now, they would turn to you and they would pray a prayer like this. And any of you in the room that need Jesus as your Savior, maybe you would pray a prayer like this to the Lord only. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've lived for myself. But I ask you today to forgive me of my sins, to save me, to restore to me the function that you've called me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. If you today have prayed to trust Christ or you want to talk to somebody, we would love to hear from you. You can text into the number 407-338-4024. Or you can take that card if you're in the room and fill it out. Some people like the old-fashioned way. You can fill it out. There's pens there. You can take the pen. It's yours to keep. And just put there, I want to make a decision. Maybe I need to be baptized or maybe I've committed my life to Christ. Or here's something else we're going to provide to you as your church. We want to help you in your marriage. We want to help you in your struggle. So if you need somebody to talk to, if you need counseling, we want to help you with that. We can't pay for it all, but we can help come alongside of you and point you to people that can get you the help that you need. My prayer is is that over these next seven weeks that God does revival in the families and in marriages and in each and other's lives. So take a time to do that today. 
Thank you again for listening to the Central Church Podcast. For more information on how to take the next step, visit us online at centralcentral.com.